Well, let me pray for us, and then uh, we're going to jump back into the book of John and uh, look at uh, verses 6 through 18. Father, thank you that you love us. We thank you that uh, we get to worship you. We thank you that uh, you have given us the ability to know you through your word. Lord, I pray as uh, we look into that today that your spirit would open up our minds and our hearts to understand what you want to teach us and that you would guide our time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week we started on a new series on the book of John, and we said what we're going to be doing during this time is, is as we go through the series, is we're going to be getting to know God. And how we're going to be getting to know God is we're going to be looking at um, the last three years of Jesus' life, um, and how um, we'll get to know God through Jesus' story is because Jesus is God, and his life and his words are the definitive voice of God. That everything he did, everything he said, everything he taught, everything he lived out are actually the words of God to us, to his creation, um, given so that we might know him and that by knowing him we might have life. We might, have, we might find life both, both now and in the future. Um, John tells us that's the purpose of him writing uh, kind of at the end of the book in, in 20 verse 31. He says this, These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus says the same thing to us in John 10.10, and the reason why he came was to bring life. He says this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This word abundantly in the Greek really means, means excess, it means overflow, it means surplus. And so the idea is that Jesus comes to give life that is, that is more than ordinary life. Life that life of a follower of Jesus that is really basically life upon life. Maybe excess life. Life added to life. I think as we look all over the Bible, we see that this, this life that, that Jesus is talking about and God's talking about is not just some future life, but it's life right here and right now. Life that is, that is more than the life you know right now. More than the life that's better than, than, than anything you've known up until this moment. Life that is so wonderful, it's like life you've never experienced before. It's this idea that every day the, the, the truths the, of, of God are new every morning and they build on one another and just become more and more and more abundant in your life. This abundant life where the Holy Spirit gives you power to live in your new identity, to live um, the way God has always designed us to live as humans because of Jesus' work on the cross and because of the resurrection, because he defeated death at the resurrection, and therefore can give us life. And really, that's, that's the goal um, of getting to know Jesus. And the goal of getting to know Jesus, as we look through these things, is not to just have some more information, not to just have some more head knowledge, not to know the truth, not to know what he said, but that Jesus would change the very essence of who we are. And by him changing us, he would cause us to live in his image so that we could have abundant life right here and right now. So that's where we're going. That's what we're talking about during this series. Um, and so I want to pick up reading in verse 6, and we're going to read through 18. I know it's a, quite a few little chunk. We're going to read 6 through 18 and continue really with the story of Jesus that John is telling us here. Uh, so verse 6, chapter 1. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Remember, in verses 1 through 4, John um, was talking about Jesus being the light of the world. So he's kind of flashing back here uh, in these verses. Verse 9. The true light, 
which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He's reminding us again that Jesus is the creator. We talked about that last week. Verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. All right, so there's a lot in there. Um, But I want to just kind of start and break down by talking about two kind of new characters that John brings up here. He introduces two new people here. He introduces John the Baptist and he introduces Moses in verse 17. Um, if you know the story of the Bible, this isn't the first time we've heard about Moses, um, but you kind of, this is the first time that John introduces him in his story as he's telling about Jesus. So I want to talk about John first, and we'll, we'll spend a little bit more time on him next week. Um, but I want us to see why um, John, the author, is introducing John the Baptist here. And I think the reason is this, that um, just like John did in the very, few verse, the very first verses, he wants to make very clear from the outset that um, that God uh, God's way of letting um, Christ's light shine in in the world is by human witness. That God's way of really pushing back the darkness in this world is through human witness. You see, God didn't have to do it this way. God could have caused the light of Christ to spread in many many other ways, and, and He could have just announced Jesus with a loud voice so that the whole earth would have known. We see, him, we see him announce that to the shepherds, but he could have done that to the whole earth of them. He could, have, he could have had the rocks cry out as Jesus walked by, saying, this is the Son of God. He could have had animals talk. He could have done it any other way, but instead we see what God do, what he's always done along the way from the very beginning of the story. God uses humans to bear witness about himself, to be his reflection, to be his light in the world. See, at the very beginning, Adam and Eve were given this task, given this role, to be God's witness, to, to display his glory to the rest of the world. But at the fall, we see that, that they fail to do that. But then after that, over and over again, we see God call people to tell the world what he's like. God, we, see, we see God use many ordinary people um, to live in extraordinary ways, to live the way that God designed them to actually live, to live in his image, to reflect his light to the world, to be witnesses of his glory so that others would see it. See, God knows that the, that the way um, to bring the greatest happiness to humans and the greatest glory to Jesus is by allowing us to participate in revealing his glory to others. It's almost this idea that, that at the fall, the, the, the earth was completely dark. And one by one, Jesus is lighting little tiny candles, small candles around the world. Little candles that reflect just a little glimpse of his glory into where the whole earth gets bits and bits and bits and bits. And slowly and faithfully, Jesus is continuing to light more and more and more candles until the day that he returns and ushers in a new kingdom and a new city. In Revelation 21, we see this. He says, 
And this is when Jesus comes back. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine in it. For the glory of God gives its light. And the lamp is the lamb. The lamb is a reference to Jesus here. So John is telling us here in verses 6 through 9 that, like we looked at last week, that to make sure you see Jesus. He's the main attraction. He's the main light. He says, he said, John the Baptist was sent to testify about the light. But the light was already there. Which is exactly what we see in verse 15. He says, where John talks about this. John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. The emphasis here is in the importance of order. That Jesus is above John the Baptist. As we think about this, you know, John the Baptist did come before Jesus. In one sense, John did come first. He was prior to Jesus. Mary, Jesus' mother, probably helped with the delivery of John. Um, and that's why he probably went to, to visit her, her cousin. Um, and we, so she probably, you know, John was there first. We see John's ministry starts first. He's baptizing people before Jesus comes in. And, and so chronologically, John is before Jesus. But John says Jesus is before him. So we know this is not the physical case. So what he's telling us is that Jesus' beginning actually started in eternity. And therefore, Jesus is absolutely before him in rank and in value. He ranks before me, basically is what John says. So John is underlying um, in his own way the truth of the glory of the incarnation here. And and really, um, the absolute superiority of Jesus over everything. And so as we think about this idea that that Jesus ranks above and his value is above all over humans, what what are some implications of that? that, What's of that statement that Jesus ranks above all humans? What do you think that would look like to actually live in that truth in your life right now, that Jesus ranks above you? What do you think? Okay, living for his purpose and not your own. Yeah, good. What else? What a change if we actually believed this. Okay? Good. It's about making him look good. Okay? Yeah, good. What else? Okay, good. Yeah, the things that he says about us define us, not the things that other people or we our own selves say about us define us. Yeah, good. Yeah, what else? Okay, he's the boss. Yeah. Yeah. His words are more definitive than our own. Yeah, good. Yeah. What else? How about this idea about being a, a, a reflection of the true light? How, how would that change the way we live? If we're realizing we're just, we're just imaging the larger light. How would that change the way we live? We would live in a way that doesn't forget. Okay. Yeah, making sure we're not hiding it, but we're looking to, making sure we're not diminishing it. Yeah, good. Yeah. Take more to get discouraged. Yeah. Yeah, good. We can live in freedom rather than in, in labor and all those things. Yeah, good. Good. What else? How would it change the way we live? Don't have it. Okay. Yeah, it changes the, the burden that we feel to like make sure we share that. Yeah. Good. Okay, yeah, we're making sure that if people see something good in us, we point it back to the, point it back to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes that like I'm afraid for people to like 
know that I have the light. Right? And they're like, oh, I don't I want to like wait till they find out who I am before I tell them that I'm a pastor or I'm a, I'm a Christian or whatever that is because then they're going to like put me in a box rather than like, oh, let me just actually show you what Jesus is like. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to make sure as, as we think about this that it's, it's grace that we would see life like this. It's grace that we would see Jesus' value higher than our own. If you go back um, to verse 16, what it does is it actually skips verse 15 and jumps right back to verse 14. And so I'm just going to skip 15 and read them together um, so that we can kind of understand how this, and it begins with this word for or because of grace, we can see his glory. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, for from his fullness, we have, we have all received grace upon grace. And so what John is saying here is that receiving grace is the reason why you could see the glory of God. That we have, we have seen his glory because we have received grace. This is not just a natural seeing. It's, this, is, this is something that is supernatural. And it's, it's, it's not only gracious that his glory has been revealed at all, but we receive supernatural grace that opens our eyes, opens our blindness to actually see and believe the things about God, to see, to see him as valuable and to see this idea that we get to reflect his glory to others. Later on in, in John chapter 11, we're going we're to see the story of, of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And, and Jesus says to Martha before um, he raises her brother, he says this, he says, did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? You see, as we think through that, many people saw the raising of Lazarus that day as a physical fact, that, that he actually came out of the grave, he was dead, and he walked out. But only some saw that actually as the glory of God. You see, we can see sim- similar things, but, then only, but God gives us, reveals to us, it's his grace that it's actually his glory that we're seeing. It's, it's a work of grace that we would see past the physical, that we would see the glory of God in the raising of the dead. So this logic in verse 14 and 16 is this, that we've seen his glory because we've received grace upon grace. Grace enables the seeing. That grace is the supernatural power of God regenerating us, opening our blind eyes so we can see Christ for who he really is. It's grace that we would actually see him and that we would actually marvel at his goodness and that's that not at the, the the greatness of Jesus, not just the works of Jesus, not just the things that he said, but at, as him as a person. Yeah, see, it's, it's my prayer, and as I think about this, as we, as we pray for this for our city, and as we go through this book of John, that, that you, your coworkers, the, your neighbors, your friends, your classmates would, would hear the story of God, would hear the story of Jesus, and that the grace of God would open their eyes so they would actually see it as the glory of God. So that many people would then become children of God. That more, more candles would be lit, as you want to say, in, in this city. And I, as, I, as I think about this, I, I love how John describes grace here. He doesn't just say you've received grace. But he says you've received grace upon grace. Grace multiplied. Grace on top of grace. Basically, over an overabundance of grace. Maybe unfairted, unfairted. Unmerited favor, there you go, on top of unmerited favor. All right? It's, uh, it's this, this amazing grace on top of grace. 
The problem is that often we live like we haven't received grace upon grace. We live as though we have something to prove. We live as though allowing our performance to make us acceptable in the eyes of others, in the eyes of God, and really in the eyes of ourselves. We live proving or performing um, in many, many ways. And it comes out in, in all kinds of things. It can look like being quick to defend ourselves. Or, or it can be, be making excuses for ourselves, for our actions, or, or even being easily annoyed. It could be fear of humiliation, fear that others won't respect you. What will they say? It, it can be seen in really a deep drive for success and for influence. Anger is, is another way where, where emotionally, we, we, when someone pushes on our striving, we get angry about that. It makes us mad. See, this, this desire to prove ourselves um, to others affects our work, it reflects our relationships, it reflects our friendship, it reflects the people we're trying to serve, it, ref, it, it plays out in our parenting, um, it, it even plays out with total strangers. I don't know about you, but, but I'm, I'm pretty jacked up and like, I want people that I don't even know to like, think well of me when I'm like, in the store. That's why like, I'm not going to wear like, sweatpants. Right, like I'm going to like look nice when I go out to the store. Whatever it is, like there's, there's things that we do in our lives where we're really where we're performing. We, we perform in, in order to hide our real selves from people. It's this idea of, really of wearing a mask. You know, we, we, we live in Los Angeles, a, a city full of actors and actresses, and we can often be like them in life, putting on a false front to impress people. Or, or vigorously defending ourselves so that people won't really see who we really are. I don't know if you've ever lived this way, but if you have, it's super draining. It's, it's so draining to, be, to feel like we have to put on an act all day long. And the saddest part about this is not only is it draining, but this idea of proving ourselves to others really puts them in the place of God. We're actually putting them as God. They take the place of God and we're now finding our value and our worth in what they think about you or what they say about you. Do you hear how offensive that is? When God has given us grace upon grace and we put someone else in his place? You see, we not only try to prove ourselves to others, but I want to say we often try to prove ourselves to God. I think if we're honest at the end of the day, like I don't want God to have to work hard to accept me. I want to help him out. I, I, want, to, I want to be acceptable to God based on my own merit. We, we don't want to rely on his grace. Maybe just a little bit of it, but we don't want all of it. We don't want grace upon grace. We want to help God out. We want to make ourselves righteous before him, which really is is straight pride. Is straight pride. When all the time God is saying, you cannot earn my approval. You can't do it. You don't have any choice but to come to me on the basis of what Jesus has done. There's nothing you can do to earn my approval before or after I call you into my family. But the problem is much of the time we do believe that we can earn it. And that we believe that we deserve things because of that. 
We believe that we, we, we can earn things from God. That God is somehow obligated to us if we live a certain way. That we're, we're entitled to things because of our good behavior. Deuteronomy um, 8 says this, verse 17 and 18. It says, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my, my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. God is basically saying, Don't believe you've earned anything. Don't believe that you deserved it. It is all a gift from my hand. It is grace upon grace. In all the things you have, in all the things you do, remember that I provided them for you. Remember that it's my grace. As we think about God, God is so gracious. He's a giver, not a taker. He gives and He gives and He gives and gives and gives and gives. And all throughout the story of the Bible, we see people that are given things that they do not deserve. And He continues to do that with you and me today. God has given us grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. As I was thinking about that, I wanted to stop. What are some examples from your own stories, from your own lives, of God giving you grace upon grace? Let's, let's brag on Jesus a little bit. What are some examples from your own story of God giving you grace upon grace? Yeah, God continued to provide work for you over and over and over again. Yeah. In, in, a, in a spot where all that work is moved to another place. Yeah. Yeah, it's grace. What else? John. Yeah. Yeah, every day, I, I, I probably sin more than I don't sin. Yeah. And he's graciously forgiving over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Good. Yeah. What else? What else from your stories shows God's grace upon grace? Yeah. Yeah, God adopting you into a family where you're going to be cared for. Yeah, that's His grace for sure. Yeah. I think the fact that the people who live in our house also live in our house. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and not that we're not going to move or somebody's not going to move in the future, but like we have all wronged each other in so many ways over and over again and we... Yeah, we, we've done many things. Yeah, it's grace that we get to be family, and then it's grace that we're still family. Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah. Yeah, God's intimately involved in your life, allowing you to pursue the things that He gives you passion for. Yeah, that's His grace. Yeah. Yeah, each day we wake up, each breath we take is grace that we're still alive. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, I think if we, we think about it, if we, go, if we go back and look in our lives, I see this all the time. I think as you get older, you kind of look back and you're like, oh, wow, actually God was actually moving in all of these certain ways to put me here so that I would learn more about his glory, more about his grace. That's grace upon grace upon grace. You know, John understands this idea that, that as people, we all want to try to prove ourselves, which is why I think he goes on in verse 17, and he builds on this idea of abundant grace, bringing Moses into the picture. Um, 
Verse 17 really begins with the same word that 16 does, either for or because. And so I think you should read 16 and 17 together. And he says this, From the fullness we have received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So why does John bring Moses and the law into here? I I think as we think about this, we need to keep in mind that John is focusing on us seeing the glory of God as full of grace. And so the reason why he turns to Moses here is Moses is probably the most famous um, person, old, Old Testament figure, who passionately wrestled with God to see the glory of God. If, if there was anyone that could ever be said has seen the glory of God, it would have been Moses. And if you look at the story of Moses in Exodus th- uh, 33, um, we, see this, I, we see the story and in verse 11. It talks about Moses and God's relationship. And he says this, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So Moses and God had this intimate relationship where they would speak to one another face-to-face often. Um, But this face-to-face conversation wasn't enough for Moses. He wanted to see more of God. If you remember the story, Moses says to God, let me see your glory. In verse 17 through 19, he goes on and he basically says, if I found favor in your sight, please show me your ways. Let me... Let, let, me, let me see your glory. Verse 17 says this, The Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, Please show me your glory. And God responds in verse 19 and says this, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you can stand in the rock. And while my glory passes, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. We have this amazing story of God being gracious to Moses and revealing his glory to him. And if you remember when, when after this takes place, if Moses comes down and he's like so bright that like he has to cover himself up so, like, so that people don't get like blinded by him. If we think about that idea of light and even as Moses starts to cover himself, as he's, his, like, his hand starts to fade, if you want to say it that way. Um, so like people can't see that, his, that God's glory is going away. And the next thing that happens in Exodus is, is God gives Moses um, the law uh, for the second time on some tablets because he broke the first ones. Um, And so I think what John is doing here in in verse 17 and 18 is he's comparing Jesus with Moses. He's contrasting um, Christ with Moses. Really, really grace one, if you want to think about this way, is Moses um, giving the law to reveal our need of Jesus. That, then, then grace upon grace is Jesus bringing the fullness of grace and truth. Is he's contrasting Moses really points to grace where Jesus actually performs grace. Where, where Moses reports the words of God, but, but Jesus is the word of God. The, the law mirrors the light, but Jesus is the light of God. You see, this contrast with Moses continues on in verse 18 where John says this. He says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's hand. He has made him known. 
So no one has ever seen God is really basically John's way of saying, even Moses, who said, show me your glory, was only allowed to see the back of God, kind of like hidden in a little rock. In contrast to Jesus, who is actually the only God, who, and Jesus who, who didn't just look at the back of the Father like Moses did, but he actually is at his side. The, the, little transla- the literal translation of this is, is in the chest of the Father. Basically, he's in the Father's lap, as close as you can get to God. And so John is telling us, no one has ever seen God, but the Son of God, Jesus, has seen him so closely as, it, as you could ever see. He's, 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 he's not only just sitting in the chest of the Father, but, but, but God and Jesus are one. That's what John 10.30 tells us. And that's a stark contrast to Moses. That's a very different person than Moses. He's, again, he's telling us that Jesus is far superior even to Moses who saw some of God's glory. You see, Moses may have, have mediated the best gift he could by recording the law for us. But at the end of verse 18, Jesus says, Jesus is making God known. Basically, he's narrating God. And so, so we think about this idea of, of comparing Moses and, and Jesus. You know, Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, but Jesus himself is lifted up for all, for a sacrifice for all. Moses, Moses was a part of, of, of bringing han, uh, manna from heaven, but Jesus himself is the true bread of life. Moses wrote about Christ, the Messiah, but Jesus is the Messiah. You see, the, the law of Moses was the words of God, but Jesus is the words of God. Moses really glimpsed at the back of the glory of God, but Jesus embodies the full glory of God. I I hope you're starting to see this idea that there's a stark difference between Moses the creature and Christ the creator. We're seeing this over and over and over again in here, where there's a difference between Moses, who's the one who points to grace, and Christ, who actually performs grace. And as we think about this as humans, you know, this is what John is doing. He's, he's saying, see Jesus. He's saying, seeing Jesus is actually seeing God. No one has ever seen God, not even Moses, but the good news is that now you can. The one who is at the Father's side, the one who sits in the lap of the Father, is one, he's making him known. God himself put on flesh and became the person of Jesus so that we might see his grace, so that we might see his glory. See, the good news is that, that the way that God responds to our desire to prove ourselves over and over and over again, to align ourselves really with the law to try to make ourselves righteous, is the way that he responds to that is righteous wrath. But not wrath poured out on you or me. Wrath poured out on Jesus, his son. God responds to sin with, with righteous wrath that we deserved. And it's poured out on Jesus instead of you and instead of me. You see, unless we understand that's what we actually deserve to get from God, righteous wrath, then the gift of his son will not be that great. We won't really see it as grace upon grace because we'll be continuing to try to earn something else. You see, if I don't need someone to satisfy God's righteous wrath on my behalf, if I can earn God's favor, then I don't need a savior. I don't need a rescuer. 
the gift of God's Son is just a nice thought. We need to really sit in the reality of our need before we can understand the greatness of grace upon grace upon grace upon grace in your life. That Jesus is the highest one. He, he ranks above John the Baptist. He ranks above Moses. He's higher than anyone in this room. He's higher than anyone else that walked on this planet. And that Jesus is the most gracious one because Jesus took God's wrath for you and for me. So that we could then receive grace upon grace. And all of these things he gives us are on no merit of our own. God's grace is free to you and to me. But it was super costly to Jesus. It cost him his whole life. This is not some random, cheap grace. God is able to extend grace upon grace upon grace upon grace to you and to me because of Jesus' life, because of Jesus' death, and because of his resurrection now. That his righteousness now gets imputed onto you and to me, and therefore we're approved by God. That when God actually reveals his glory to you and through his grace and that you see that and you believe that and you trust in it. Now when, when God looks at you, he says this above your head. He said, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Do you understand that's what God says about you? That is grace as I think about my own life. That God would say, you are a beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That gets spoken over you because of your connection with Jesus. Jesus is who we want to see today. It's, don't just look at his, that is, his amazing works or, or meditate on, on his words, but rest in his grace. Look at Jesus. Look, look at his life, that he gives you life upon life upon life because of his grace upon grace upon grace so that we could then show other people about that. Don't try to prove yourself today. Look at Jesus and rest in Him. Now, Father, we thank You that, that we get um, to talk about Your things. I thank You that we get to rest in Your truth. Lord, we thank You for Jesus. That now, because of Jesus, we have the ability to have life. That You have given us grace upon grace. Lord, I pray as we think about that, that you would turn our hearts from trying to prove or our hearts of trying of complaining about what we don't have and that we would truly see our need of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would, you would change our hearts to really rest in that this morning and that we would, we would live a life differently because of that, that the truth of these things would change our life. But we don't want to just know some more things about you. We don't want to just know that you've given us grace upon grace. We want that to actually change the essence of who we are and how we live. And so, Lord, I, I pray that that would be a reality for each person in this room. And if there's someone that doesn't know that, has never experienced your grace upon grace, have never seen their need of you, and they're still striving in their own strength, Lord, I pray that you would, you would give them grace to see your glory. You would give them grace to see um, their need of you. Lord, we thank you that as we go to communion that we get to celebrate that. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.